Welcome back to the CCA California podcast. Good to be here. Good to be with you another week of the podcast. My name is Chris, one of your hosts, alongside my good friend, Kevin. Kevin, what's good, man? Hey, Chris. Oh, man. Uh, We're talking about bluefin. Every single day just seems like we're not fishing enough. (laughs) We were just saying that, like literally right before we kicked it on. Man, I'm sure a lot of people out there that are listening to this podcast have already dipped their, they got their feet wet with some super good bluefin fishing. I think yesterday, didn't the San Diego have 170 tuna in their counts? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Isn't I mean, that if, right? Yeah. If that's, if that's already happening on the three-quarter-day boats or the full-day boats, it's unbelievable. And we're in, what, early May right now? There's no way it can be 170, actually, unless they did, like, a three-day trip. So... Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. No way. <laughs> well, anyways, it's just crazy, though. Yeah. The fishing has been absolutely... Crazy mm-hmm. is the word. I keep hearing people say that there's they've never seen any fish volume like this ever. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're hearing? I'm hearing the same thing. I also hear that every single year at work. <laughs> like, it's the biggest school I've ever seen. And then the year after, oh, this is bigger than that one. But it might be. At, yeah. this, at, this, at this point in time, it seems like we are going down the road of it's getting bigger, it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Every single year they're getting... Um, they probably have so much food now that they're getting accustomed to just eating blind now and just mm-hmm. opening their mouth and taking <laughs> gallons of anchovy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unreal what's happening out there. I mean, I was just out maybe a week ago or so, and, I mean, still, bluefin, bluefin to be had, all mixed in between the schoolie size, between 20 and 25 pound, and all the way up to 100s, the 100 class. Now we're getting into 200s. Yeah. Yeah, can next, you imagine? Next week it's going to be three hundreds. I know, <laughs> and then later then later this year it'll be four hundreds, like what we've been oh, talking about. Oh man, it's got to be around too. At this point, it's just uh, it just seems like every week that bigger fish pushes up further mm-hmm. and further along with the small stuff. Just like the last years, but mm-hmm. man, it's just hurt. It's hurting me to even. <laughs> Just imagine what's seen, being seen out there, and I haven't seen it yet this year. It's hurting me just sitting here, and when there's fish to be caught, too. Yeah. Okay, guys, the, yeah. the podcast is over. We're, Chris and I are going out right now fishing. Yep, grab the boat. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, as you can hear, we have a little bit of a different flavor for you this week. We have no special guests, but uh, just Kevin and I kind of talking fishing and uh, really just catching up. That's kind of the phrase that we kind of coined this one. We're just catching up with all of you and with each other and all that, and we have uh, plenty to talk about as well. But first, before we get started, make sure you follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Give us a follow and and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. We definitely love to see all those numbers growing. And, Kevin, they are growing every single week. It's unbelievable how much support we've been getting with this thing. I believe it. I mean, we have great guests. And the knowledge we're putting out there, along with this week, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're we're working hard. We're working hard to, to give value to the people listening. Even to ourselves, like we learn stuff every single week. Oh, every Just week. learn that there's no way it's possible to get 170 bluefin on a <laughs> San Diego trip. <laughs> way overblown. Whoops. Well, it, it may be possible, just not right now. That's true. That yeah. is true. Yeah. I think they caught a 170 pounder. Let me just rephrase what I was saying. I think they got 170 pounder. Oh, my goodness. Which counts for, you know, 170 one pound bluefin tuna. Yeah. Yeah, all in one rather than just a whole litter of fish. Mm-hmm. 
Well, cool, man. Well, let's get started here. We've had a couple different things happen in the last, gosh, the last week or so. Uh, one of them being the Coastal Social this past weekend. That's and right. uh, with you being your skillful self on the kayak, you actually took the first place spot on the kayak division. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was a really good day of fishing um, down here in, uh, you know, anywhere from Oceanside down inshore has been kind of lackluster is the word um inshore mm-hmm. offshore is insane but uh up there i was kind of on the fence was like oh you know what i was gonna fish sand bass or calicos it turned out like most people um went out uh davy too i saw davy out there where i was fishing mm-hmm. um a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the top uh matt florentino was in there and jim salzer actually put nothing but sand bass on the on his board but uh, a lot of those big fish were definitely calicos. Mm-hmm. Davy and Matt got two. Uh, they both each got a twenty and a quarter inch fish, and a, cal- a calico bass. Oh, wow! You know that's like a six pound bass. Yeah. A lot of people, they're that's like their biggest bass ever. You know. Jeez. And they got one each each um, that day, and then they had uh, Davy had an, another nineteen, and then Matt had another stud. It was like. Oh no, he was out. He was back a little bit. He had a couple of sixteen and fifteens. He had cookie cutter fish after he moved. But mm-hmm. um, Salazar, Jim Salazar, man, he had some sand bass in there, some eighteen and a half inch fish, and I was like, dang. And then the boating division. <laughs> oh man! Could you believe those fish? I mean, you were there at the weigh-in. Station. I was there at the weigh-in. Yeah, man. First place team hookup, man. Hookup baits. They had an eighteen pound point one zero bag. Eighteen pound eight, ten. Uh, yeah, eighteen point one. Eighteen point one bag. The size of the calico that they had. That seven point eight. Oh. That was an absolute hog. Can and then they had sand bass to match the rest of their bag. So the average fish was more, you know, just a little bit above a six-pound fish. I, I can't believe that. It I, was for three fish. Yeah. You know, I was like, that was, and then and then Team uh, Reyes, which was uh, Pearl um, swim baits and Reyes swim baits. Mm-hmm. They had a sixteen and what? Sixteen point seven pounds. I mean, giant bags. These yeah. are these are huge fish. And I believe they were the ones that were last to weigh in too. Well, they went from Clemente, if I yeah. if I if I you know mis, don't misquote that again. But uh, yeah, the um, the fish quality was insane. In third place was who? Uh, Anthony Harris and Connor Warren with uh, twelve point eight seven. Right, right. Yeah, man. That's even that's what was their big fish? Did it say? Uh, their big fish. I'd have to look that one up, but their um, and that was with, um, sadly a, a quarter of a pound deduction just because they brought in one of their fish that was dead already. Oh, okay. Which it's okay, but still, I mean, a thirteen pound bag. That's yeah, pretty massive. That's that's very big. Just the size of these fish was an, an incredible statement for how healthy the fishery is up there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see it too. I mean. You're right. You know, I, I and it was my first time fishing a wall. I told, mm-hmm. I mean, literally ever. Yeah. And I'm not trying to. I'm. That was my first day I ever even fished close to the wall. My first time launching at a kayak at a cabrillo. Mm-hmm. Um, I went right up to the lighthouse, took a right, and I was just like, I was in heaven. Yeah. I started punching the kelp with a with the swim bait and a war bait head, and um, got a bite. But then I started moving in real shallow, and it was just on. I had thirty some fish. Wow. Yeah. And- so just to go back, Anthony and Connor's big fish was five point one. That's a hog. Yeah. 
That, so that was calico? That was a calico, correct. Man, see some of these big calicos. Like that's that's a lot of and then and then um the second team second place team Reyes and Pearl, mm-hmm. they had nothing but calico. Yeah, nothing but calico, their biggest being five point one three. That's so just, awesome. Yeah. And seven point eight for the biggest correct. the whole tournament, right? Yep, yep. Dude, this thing was a balloon. It looked literally like a balloon. It was so <laughs> round. You remember that that fish, that yeah. calico? It was crazy. I saw it in that first second. I thought we were like at Cedrus or something. Yes. It's just unbelievable. And and the fish probably came from deep water because it's kind of off color. It was mm-hmm. really pale. Right. But um, man, it was crazy how big that fish was. Tiny little head, huge body. Has been eating well. Probably getting ready for spawn. Maybe who knows? Yeah. But a great tournament. Um, the great thing about it is, I mean. Like I said, that we had one dead fish, but other than that, They're everything released. got released, which is great. So if you're fishing the Long Beach area right now, be on the lookout. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're right somewhere close to that area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, the, the, the kayak division was great. The how many there was uh, uh, fourteen in the kayak and fifteen teams in the boat. There were sixteen kayaks and 16. fifteen teams. Right on. Which is great participation. I think last year we were a little we we're struggling a little bit on the kayak side, uh, but I think we doubled or a little bit more than doubled our amount of kayaks this this go around, which is nice. Yeah, and we have another one coming up in September, and yep. uh, the, the date is September seventeenth, out of San Diego. Right on. So and, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a different story then. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably and it's it's going to have the same well not this different story the same layout. You can have a boat division and mm-hmm. a kayak division. You have three man teams for boat, catch and release, um, catch and catch and weigh in on the boat side. It's catch photo release on the kayak side using Tourney X as the platform. Mm-hmm. And um, you have pretty much from 6 a.m. to put lines in, be at your spot by 6, mm-hmm. all the way up to 2 p.m., which is your cutoff, to yep. submit and to then start weighing up until 4 p.m., which is 2 to 4 p.m. weigh-in. Yes, yes. And for the kayak side, you can even, I think the submission to submit, or the deadline to submit is 3 p.m., or something. Really? I think so. Davey put pressure on me to put even... <laughs> I wasn't going to put anything up until, like, it was time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed how... Because I kept checking the Turning X app every now and then throughout the day. And I would say probably half... Half of our guys were sandbagging. Of course. Everyone. Almost course. everyone. Yeah. You know why they were sandbagging? Because if, if they're down here fishing down here and trying to catch sand bass... Mm-hmm. And we're up there catching calicos. They want to put the heat on because these sand bass over here in San Diego Bay get giant. Oh, monsters. Giant. Yeah. So there's a potential to take the dub if you're down here and, and fishing in an area that has those giants. Mm-hmm. And there, Frank Santiago, who was in the – or uh, did he make it to the top five? Uh, I think Dale, I think, beat him. Yeah, I Shout think so. Dale, Dale Shaw and Frank, <laughs> Frank Santiago. Um, but uh, – yeah, man. Derwin Chang was in there, too, I saw. Yep, Derwin. Um, Corey, I met him at the Cabrillo launch ramp. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, has a YouTube channel. And, um, you know, it's a lot of kayak guys are out there, and they're um, absolutely participating in as many tournaments as possible. And Coastal Social is a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know everyone's really amped to go back out there and, and try to, to compete again. Maybe we should make more Coastal Socials next year and include some bay ones. Yeah. I, you know, I, this Coastal Social deal, uh, to be honest, personally, 
and I think Matt can say the same thing and Davey Brown too. We've just had so much fun doing this tournament because it's pretty relaxed. It's basically it's not a starter tournament tournament, but it's a perfect entry level tournament to where you're fishing with some of the better guys, the some of the better tournament fishing, but not with that pressure in trying to place or trying to win. Um, you're getting plaques, and all the proceeds go to CCA, which Absolutely. is nice. So, uh, but this thing, I mean, Coastal Social is really kind of turning some heads, and we're we're looking for more participation as always. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we had 50 total anglers participate this tournament, this go around. We're hoping for hopefully maybe 100 for San Diego, it's even more. 100 so, would be great, and I think yeah. we have a lot of people that are going to be open with their schedules um, towards mm-hmm. that time because the tournaments that are around here for kayak starts to wind down, mm-hmm. and uh, the fishing's going to be red hot. Oh, yeah. I don't know about how big they're going to be. I mean, they could be fat, but I, don't, I imagine it's post-spawn. Long, ta- long after they're done spawning, mm-hmm. but uh, you know how it gets when that water gets hot, yeah. and if there's a lot of bait out there. Maybe it should be a tuna jackpot this year, friends. <laughs> <For that thing. laughs> yeah, tuna jackpot, a then tuna the yellow jackpot. tail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, Corey Conway. That's the the Corey I was thinking of. And yeah, he's got a. Um, let me look up his his. Uh, yeah, and, and while you do that, I mean, one thing that was really, really neat to see were, you know, we had guys that, on the kayak, but also the boats too, we had guys hanging around for the weigh-in, just hanging out, really good group overall, and we had a lot of uh, newcomers as well for this year in particular, a lot of new a lot of new CCA members as well. Yes. Um, Corey, I remember, you know, uh, there was um, our friend Ryan McDonald from the uh, boat side as well. He he hung out with us, which is great. We had Jim Hendricks, who we've had on the podcast. Yeah. Him and his son and Ron Bellani all participate. That was cool. They even caught some fish. Yeah. <laughs> God, dude, everyone caught fish, it seems like. Well, it was pretty cool. On, man. We talked about that on uh, the podcast. He was in, was it number seven? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, it, it was a, he's got a really cool, you know, the, the Cuddy Con, the Cabo Cuddy Con that he has is such a classy boat, mm-hmm. uh, recognizable. And then Benny Florentino was there too. Yep. Benny and was. with his sweet Ranger. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Who I doesn't f- want to be on that boat? Oh, I know I do. I want to be on that. Man, you step on one side and you feel like you're not even tilting. The boat doesn't even move. Nope. It's not so at all. Sweet. It's yeah. so solid, and we can't forget about our friends at Fishing Syndicate. Those guys pull uh, came in early and uh, hung out with us as well. GT, Rick, and Brian, uh, followed by Oliver too. Those guys are all really, really cool, and uh, we are very grateful to have them as sponsors. Uh, but Thanks, other than guys. that, appreciate that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Mr. Winner, uh, any last thoughts on Coastal Social? I, uh, it's been, I mean, this one was super fun. It me. was. I, I, uh, I actually will say um, I just was relaxed. Yeah. It was so fun chill. to just chill out. Mm-hmm. I fished a place I never fished before. I'm mm-hmm. sure that the people that were in this, maybe they were a little more savvy than I was, but I was just hanging out trying to learn something. Yeah. I saw, I, I caught a bunch of fish. Um, I had a great time doing it. And the weather was amazing. Yeah. I hope it's always like that up there. <laughs> but I was fishing a thing that you couldn't do if there was rough weather. So yeah. um, everyone should come out and, and experience just participating in a CCA event, whether it's a chapter event. Certainly Coastal Social is just one of those you know, mm-hmm. twice-a-year things you should go to and yeah. hang out and uh, catch, some, catch some calico bass. Catch yeah. some sand bass, you know. Maybe exactly. a spotty if it's big enough. Hey, there's nothing wrong with bass fishing in the middle of a tuna bite. 
Uh, there is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> We're still here. <laughs> I know, I know. But, yeah, in September, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, it's going to be September 17th um, in San Diego out of Dana Landing. Um, that's where our weigh-in station is going to be. And uh, this go-around, this past go-around, we didn't really have um, the opportunity, and we just ran out of time to do um, something formal. But uh, for September, in September, what we'll do is we'll have a formal award ceremony. We'll have a raffle. We'll have some food, hopefully. Um, have a big party, basically. That sounds Landing. awesome. Yeah. And where, where's the venue going to be at? Dana Landing? Dana Landing, for correct. For the celebrations? Yep. Oh, that yep. sounds awesome. Exactly. It's for a live weigh-in, too. Live weigh-in, all that. All the kayaker, kayakers should come out and just hang out, have some, have some food. Shout out to MMFC. Stuff. You better represent. Yeah. Come on down. Yeah. Give some people. Let's go. Come on, Roman. We're waiting for you. Yep. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Since uh, we got that one out of the way, one also, you know, this was a huge week for you um, in more ways than none. We had Coastal Social over the weekend on Saturday. But all week long, you actually were working hard just right up the road here in La Jolla, and you were at what they call MREP. Yes, the Marine Resource. It's gonna kill me how many times I gotta say that. I, I learned so many acronyms this whole this whole thing. I government is full of acronyms. I know. Well, you should. So we're gonna talk about some of this stuff because it was a Marine Resource Education Program. program. That's right, Marine Resource Education Program. It was. Um, quite a five-day workshop. <laughs> uh, Wayne was there. Wayne Cotto was there. Yep. Um, there was actually uh, the Everingham brothers, were, or uh, not the brothers, but the oh, son Matt. and cousin, Matt, yeah. Matt was Every, there, Everingham. and Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason was there, too. And uh, they were in the workshop. Um, and some there was some... Um, uh, six-pack charter guys there. Uh, one was JT. He was up from Ventura uh, Graphics Fishing, Graphics Sport Fishing. Mm-hmm. And then there were several commercial guys there. Uh, one was Nick. He was from um, Santa Cruz area and uh, fishes around the Channel Islands a lot. And uh, it was an amazing spread of people from Alaska all the way down. Um and what, what, what this workshop is, is, is a, um, well, first let me tell you how I got on this thing, okay? Sure. Because it's a very random thing that I just so happened to see on Instagram, of all places. I was scrolling through my feed and I saw this ad. And it said, uh, apply to join this workshop. Everything's comped. You can go there. You're going to have your stay Everything, food, mm-hmm. everything, it's all your expenses paid for. I just imagine you just in the hotel room with a bathrobe, just kicking it every night. That is not what happens. <laughs> I wish. No. It was almost like that luxury, but it was very nice, but it wasn't that luxurious. Um, we didn't have downtime. We mm-hmm. were talking and networking a lot, and it was great. It was a great opportunity to talk to people and meet people that are really pivotal in making decisions uh, for um, – federal waters, some influence on state waters, um, things that, that we all deal with, but we never understand. Like, to give you an example, um, you know, these are the same people that are really focusing on ground fish that have pulled back on copper and pullback because mm-hmm. they, 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 no, they know from what the scientists have told them, remember that just said, I'm just saying, the scientists have told them, okay, we'll come right. back to that. Um, they were 
very concerned about the the groundfish stocks off of our coast and all their and Oregon and Washington too. This mm-hmm. is not just us. Um, and these are people that make that decision to close off X you know portion of water, open up this, open that, close this. Um, there they have an influence. Mm-hmm. That's the people we're dealing with. It's the Pacific Fisheries Management Council PFMC. PFMC. And so there's some very, very important people involved, these council members that have been long existing in the industry, commercial, um, NGOs, mm-hmm. fisheries management uh, studies like NOAA and Southwest Fisheries. And one of the uh, – actually, the chairman of PFMC happens to be on our state board, Mark uh, Relnick. Oh, Mark Relnick. That's right. Yep. So um, it's amazing to find out how much of the story – everyone that's not involved at this level is missing and we're going to go through that today okay in some very brief manner because it's there's a lot that i had learned um but i i i they called me the question guy (laughs) (laughs) did did wayne tell you about this i had gotten texts from multiple people wayne included how you were just absolutely a badass all week just (laughs) Yeah, just asking questions, learning a lot, and all that, and you know it was good. It was it's really good um, to have you know somebody somebody else and someone of your stature as well, you know, kind of know the ins and outs of you know PFMC and all these agencies that make these crucial crucial decisions. It is um, it is very deep. Mm-hmm. Rabbit hole goes deep on this one. Very. Um, starting off with the. The very beginning of it, uh, I was actually late to the meeting. (laughs) (laughs) I heard about that too. (laughs) Everyone did their intros and I came in and I started busting out questions like, who's this guy again? He didn't even intro himself. (laughs) So I was late to the thing. Um, Anyways, I... uh, it was a very busy day. It was, it was managing accounts and trying to sell, hustle product in stores and getting it figured out is, and, and bringing on a new guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a crazy day. So that was Monday. Monday we get in there and uh, we went over a bit of survey, like how surveys are conducted. And what is a, serve, a fishery survey? What's, uh, what is sampling? You know, all these words. And um, a survey... Basically, when you see people at the docks and wear the brown button-up shirts, it's a part of fishing game. We all know them. Yep, you know them. They have their clipboard. They have the measuring board. Mm-hmm. They're taking information now. Well, this information is directly affecting what they, they realize as a fish stock. They're assessing fish stocks. Mm-hmm. This information is directly gathering what people are catching, who's catching it, how frequently, where at. And the, and the sex and also the age, potentially, if they get the, the samples in the right... Um, they, they need the head, the length, and the, and the gonads of the fish, mm-hmm. whether they're male or female. They need gonads. to identify it. Is that it? Gonads? I think, it's, I think it's a scientific name. Isn't that it? Uh, maybe. Yeah. You're laughing, man. That's scientific. Uh, but when I was growing up, gonads meant something else. That, but yeah. Well, it's what, it is what that means. Yeah. Yes. So, anyways, um, they want to identify these fish in a certain way so they can develop a model. Or, well, actually, let me keep going. Sampling. Mm-hmm. They want to get this information for um, part of the information they need to create a scientific model. We'll go back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Sampling is different. Sampling is when they they go out themselves. They're going to do an assessment by catching the fish. Methods of take can be anywhere from seining mm-hmm. to hook and line. 
Um, it depends on what they're going to do and how they're going to approach it. But they do certain areas, and they'll take as, uh, a certain amount of fish within a certain time, assess it, do the sampling, take off the, the chop off the top of the head, take the, um, the uh, otoliths out for aging. Um, before they do that, they sex it, and then they also measure it. So all these things are done with sampling on the water with scientists on the boat, mm-hmm. on, on the water, with fishermen and scientists sharing a similar ambition to capture as much data as possible with certain species, certain places. Mm-hmm. So all this information comes into a place where they're able to collect the data, run it through, and start building models. Now you're going to hear that word multiple times in this conversation because they're very important to everything we talked about. But modeling is essentially creating a visible um, graph, a visible, identifiable way of understanding a trend, okay? Mm -hmm. Whether that's we're taking too much fish, or the fish counts are rising, um, or the population of fish is has a great um um you know if they're reproducing a lot and they're starting to build up stock on on smaller fish and the waves is coming of the bigger ones eventually it takes some time but if there's a lot of small ones eventually there's going to be bigger ones if we keep putting them back or if they keep growing so they're looking at all this data and they're trying to figure out how best to manage a certain species within this scientific data that they're receiving okay Mm -hmm. so we learned that on day one (laughs) That's just part of it, okay? (laughs) Then on uh, day two, we got into some other parts of um, understanding what the surveys, the sampling goes for, which is the modeling part, and and what what goes into developing models. Then we got into um, understanding uh, certain situations as far as... uh, um, oceanography, like there could be hot spots, uh, learning about, um, you know, potentials for, I forget what the word's called, but when their oxygen gets zapped out of a certain area, kind of like a red tide thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I forget the name of that. So there's different things we learned about that affect certain areas and that will affect how management makes decisions because it could have been just a freak thing like the, the, um, Blob, right? In 2015, it was this crazy warm thing that came up, wave, warm, wave of warm water that just smoked all the California fish out here. Right. Way hotter than normal. Like 82 degrees in La Jolla that year, you know? Oh, yeah. So it, it changed things. Mm-hmm. The dynamic is still, we're still feeling the effects after this long still, mm-hmm. you know, seven years later, in my opinion. So um, we learn about like how that affects fishery and the cyclicality of like you know El Ninos and La Nina and things like that that affect decision making in the end you know or should at least right mm-hmm. um, and then we started to kind of get more into how the uh, advisory panels for all uh, the councils that are out there including the Pacific Fisheries Management Council which makes decisions for ground fish and bluefin and stuff like that over here in Yellowtail and White Sea Bass right um, in federal waters, anything from three miles and out, you know, further, it's up to 200 miles, I believe, is mm-hmm. federal waters. Yeah. Anything in, inside of that state waters, that's something we learned. You know, I mean, I didn't, I knew that already, but, you know, they wanted to reconfirm, yeah. reaffirm that that is what they manage, is federal waters. Which, that kind of, um, that caused some, it, yeah, that caused some issues with our, uh, with those stock assessments for, more specifically for live bait. 
Yes. Live bait has been always up along the beach the last couple of years and all that. Sardines specifically. Yep. And they keep saying how the live bait fishery is just, it's overfished every single year. But that's the problem. The NOAA, the PFMC, which is um, supported by NOAA, it's a federal agency. So they're only uh, surveying three miles and beyond rather than being on that beach where all that bait is. Right. So they're missing a huge portion of that bait. They are. And, um, you know, having people that are in the industry where that is their business is a, is a pivotal part of what this workshop covered because, you know, Matt's sitting next to me. Yeah. And he were just talking about this stuff the whole time, and he's already been part of council, uh, advisory panels, you know, and he's yeah. been speaking up about uh, what he's actually seeing out there and how much of the story they're missing. He knows his stuff. Absolutely. I, have to, I, I would hope so. You go to the bait barge, it's full of sardines right now. Where do they get that? You know? He must be doing something right. He must be doing something right. So they're actually, the, the scientists are already have been long involved with, with um, the Evan Ringham brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Is saying that right? Everingham. Everingham. Everingham brothers, um, they, they've been involved with their operations for years now, mm-hmm. developing better science, understanding the people that are on it, you know, and that's a lot of what the later conversation was on the week. So Tuesday was a big day, went through a lot of information, developed uh, how advisory panels um, supplement, you know, public opinion and public speak, not public opinion, but public, um, uh, how the public can get in touch with the council, right? So people like you and I, if we have something we've seen and we need to talk about it, or want to bring up something that's within the agenda that the PFMC is bringing up, mm-hmm. then you go to an advisory panel and talk to the person that's in charge of leading that, get on board, speak up, write a note to mm-hmm. the commission, uh, to the council, excuse me, and get your voice heard. You know, that was one of the big things was participate. If you have something to say, you should say it. Don't just grovel, grumble about it, you know? Yeah, and, you know, there's there, there's a whole point to the process and there's a whole way to play this game to where, you know, yeah, you can show up at any meeting that they have or whatnot and just have an outburst and yell and scream all you want and all that. But really, it's not that, that's not that effective. It's not going to get you that much. No. But by participating and going through the motions and actually showing up and, and you know, representing yourself or your organization or just your community well, knowing that, you know, what you know, it's going to be well received. Yep. Anyway, so, you know, we had this um, opportunity to uh, really dive into the how deep this... Uh, this process goes, like you said, it's all about process. It keeps it so that it's controllable, they can make better decisions, um, they can make them for the, it's really for conservation efforts. Just really want people to understand this is not about putting, screwing fishermen. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is about. And, and for me to see and understand what they go through, I understand that there's a lot more that goes that they go through as far as decision making than just saying no, no pullback, no coppers for you guys. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. So, going through some of the information for surveying and sampling, um, we got to go to the um, Southwest Fisheries, um, Southwest Fisheries. I forget what uh, the end part of the acronym. Anyways, we went to their facility and we got to see 
the craziest equipment. Southwest Fisheries Science Center. Yes, that one. Um, Southwest Fisheries Science Center. It's a long one anyways. The acronym's five letters long. <laughs> um, so we got to go and meet the scientists that were helping with surveying and sampling. Mm-hmm. And it was really just stunning to see how uh, how ma- many you know years together in some of these rooms you know it's, as far as experience there there was I mean there were some people there that spent a lot of time on the water some guys didn't but there was definitely some guys that have spent some time out there learning these fish and learning how to use their equipment um, one of them is the uh, what we were talking about bait fish surveying or the mm-hmm. biomass um, they run sonar off of a uh, off their boats that they have NOAA has a few f- boats in their fleet I think Southwest Fisheries Science Center has a couple too mm-hmm. but anyways they have these boats dedicated to science and they're using their equipment so they have one of these boats outfitted with a giant transducer the thing is as big as this table oh my gosh it's a giant transducer <laughs> so they run around with this transducer and they're surveying the biomass that's out there for bait fish and you mentioned it's in federal waters that's right Mm-hmm. So they'll do that, and then they'll do sampling at night. Just remember what I just said, with trawl nets. Okay. Okay. So they'll put the net out at night after they surveyed the area and they've pinged schools and all this other stuff. So they're going one way out and one way in. Mm-hmm. They're not really going around and bouncing around in different zones. Okay. And right. They do these trips pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. And they go and look out there and see what's going on out here off of our coast. But they're trying to. Assess how much fish in the baits, how many, how much bait is out there. Really, the bottom line. They want to know what it is, and how much of it is there. Mm-hmm. And just remember, they're only putting that net in when at night. At night, only time they do it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And when you when you think about this, when the boat's moving along, where do you think that bait's going to be going when they're moving along going forward? Probably either down or out. Away from yeah. the boat. So they're not even getting all of it. Yeah. Probably. So the way that they're – that's probably one of the most interesting things is assessing the biomass. They they know it's a massive amount. How they do it, that's where fishermen need to come in mm-hmm. to give their input on how they should start looking at this, right? Because we all know as fishermen that when you go out of bait school – it's going away from you long before you could even get close to it. Most of the time, it yeah. doesn't like the boat. Doesn't like the boat sound. It's going to mm-hmm. go away unless you're sitting dead in the water. You turn off your motor. You know, even if you have it on, you're starting to chum them. Maybe they'll stick around, but they're not going to sit there. Yeah. So, anyways, that was one part. Hmm. Um, they have a fleet of sail surveying base vessels that use a sail. It mm-hmm. runs out there. It does a bunch of peeing out there with their fish find or the, the transducers and basically equipment to capture data, you know, information, just like a fish finder does, but, you know, gives, a, gives it to scale. We've probably seen a couple of those along the way. Yeah, they're really cool. Yeah. They're just like a little mini sailboat. There's no – it's not – it's unmanned, so yeah. there's no one on it, but they just run around there and they ping a bunch of water and they look for bottom contour, fish, whatever else may be roaming around, right? And uh, they do those quite frequently. Um, they set up some of these underwater uh, traffic detectors. Is the only way I can like, you know, <laughs> that's my layman's term for it. But they put it down, anchor it to the bottom. Whatever yeah. goes over the top, they thing clicks every twenty minutes. 
Whoever's there is there. And 20, every 20 minutes, it pings. Huh. 20 minute periods. Just so it's like one click. And then 20 minutes later, it'll go. So Interesting. The frequency of it's kind of questionable, you know? Yeah. yeah. So they do one of those, and they have several stations. They do this, I think, five or six. Most of them's off the Channel Islands. So they're doing some of those. Um, and uh, then uh, the other part of that's surveying, right? So that's mm-hmm. the surveying part. And then the sampling part, they're between um, uh, Cal Coffee, which is like a certain... It's not. It's not coffee. Okay, let's just say that. It's like the name of the uh, the um, or not the organization, but I believe the study is called Cal Coffee, mm-hmm. and they do uh, um, they do uh, sampling by taking trawl nets and going in certain parts of the water column. This is mostly the top for them, and they're checking out larval stages of fish and invertebrates and all sorts of other things. So. They, we got to see what a opa looks like under the micro, uh, the far, uh, magnifying glass hmm. and um, whatever those things are called. Anyways, um, all sorts of stuff, you know. Hmm. Uh, and then we, and I was asking about the, the stage, the life state cycle of cow cod. And this is all at the science center up, up here. It's actually public too, like not the, the facility, huh. but right. the information is online. Huh. So if you go to Pacific Fisheries Management Council, a lot of these are on there. And you can also go to Southwest Fisheries Science Center, and you can find some of the information on there, on their public website. Um, so a lot of good information to go and search for this stuff for yourself if you're interested. But they have, they have everything, larval stages of pretty much every fish around here, including rockfish, because it's very interesting, their life cycle. You know, they start up top, and they start to come down in the water column slowly but surely. Well, you... Before I interrupt you, you started saying it's something about cow cod. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> in that same day, we got to go see the, this cow cod, um, I don't want to say testing facility, but it kind of was. Mm-hmm. And what they're trying to test is um, they're seeing reproduction, they're testing reproduction, uh, if they can replicate that inside of the test facility, which is on land. Oh, I see. In a, in a, Probably a chamber. It's a chamber. Yeah. Um, it does not pressurize, which is interesting. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, But they, they keep the temperature cool. Okay. So really cool. But mm. the fish are not pressurized. Hmm. So the tank's not pressurized. It's open at the top. So it's like a cow cod that's living with us at pretty much in sea level. Yes. Huh. Very interesting, their life, their life story. So we all, if you haven't seen a cow cod, you're not alone. Yeah. You know, a lot of people haven't because they haven't been able to fish it for, what, 20 years plus now? Yeah. Almost 30? At least. Yeah. So um, it was closed down because of what was claimed to be overfishing. The stock was, you know, the same thing we talked about. The stock assessment showed that it was in trouble. They needed us to close it down. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're at a point where there potentially could be, you know, talk of reopening because there's a lot of them out there now. They've rebounded. Yeah. Faster than they thought. If I remember correctly, I think it was like 70 years ahead of schedule. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So people are a little bit hesitant to get back <laughs> into the jumping back in on this one because right. it, it's, it's gone, done so well. It's a great st- success story. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, this chamber taught me a couple of things. So they're testing barotrauma. Barotrauma meaning you bring up a fish from 600 feet, you know, the stomach comes out, everyone's going, what the heck is that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Um, There's testing the effectiveness of descending devices. Mm -hmm. Well, pretty effective. That's the, 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 so far the the experiments and the data shows that 
the the fish can rebound very well. Big surprise. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you go figure that you put a fish back down where it belongs, it would live. Yeah. But what's really interesting is how long it takes for them to, to recuperate in theory, right? They've mm-hmm. kind of tested some things. It takes about a month for them to get comfortable again. Oh, wow. So, um, so how they test this is they'll take a fish out of here. Mm-hmm. They'll, um, that's, you know, it's basically expanded and they have to repressurize it in a hyperbaric chamber. Mm-hmm. So they'll collapse everything and repressurize the fish and then slowly start letting off of it so it can equalize. Then they'll put the fish in the tank and they'll see how long it takes for them to get comfortable. Huh. It takes about a month for them to get fully back to normal. It takes another two to three months for fish to eat after they get sent back down. Huh. Interesting. So it takes a while. So go figure that, the, that rockfish don't eat all the time. They don't eat very often. Their metabolism is crazy slow. That's why it takes them so long to grow. They don't eat much. Huh. So when you're sending a squid down on a hook, it's probably free fiesta time, yeah. like Taco <laughs> Thursday. They're freaking out, you know? Yeah. Taco Tuesday. So, um, But huh. it taught me that when people put fish back down, right, you keep putting them back down, you may not see the result of you doing that mm-hmm. for a little bit. But if you do it consistently enough and you're putting the fish back, over time you'll start seeing that rock pile start building up and, and getting those fish bigger and bigger over time. You won't mm-hmm. catch them as frequently right off the bat if you're putting them back down, but the end result is that you're going to get more fish in the end. So quick story on that descending device. Uh, last week we had Jason and Jamie Diamond, and they volunteered their boats, uh, the Stardust and the Coral Sea, for the CCFRP program, mm-hmm. um, which Talked is one of those. that one too. Yeah. Which is one of those programs they go tag rockfish in the MPAs and outside the MPAs and, and do their deal. Um, they've gotten calls in the past where they had um, they had they had calls from scientists saying you're not going to believe this, but that fish that we let go that was floating on the surface and a bird got it or whatever, it was just caught in Mexico. It was pretty unreal. Wait, wait, wait. So the fish was. Floating. Yeah, so they were. Fl- it was floating, and they thought, "Oh, that's a goner." No, you know, no, no question about it, because they track all those tags, so they write specific notes and all that, saying captured by bird or whatever. And a couple, probably a couple years later, that same fish with that same tag ended up getting caught either in Mexico or somewhere else, somewhere other than that. They they were saying how these same tag fish that were off of Santa Rosa Island were getting caught up in Oregon as well. It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. If you haven't listened to that podcast episode, definitely give it a listen. It's there. It's fascinating stories for sure. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. Well, I believe it because, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how ground fish management is so – it's such a mystery because we just don't know about these fish – very much like mm-hmm. that's a great example of how much they move that I, I, I believe it. Yeah. I just yeah. didn't think that it was actually like that, but I believe it. So moral of the story, use your descending devices, even though you don't think that they work. Uh, well, so let's go on that really quick. Okay. You know, there's some, um, I think it's really on the recreational angler right now to step their game up mm-hmm. and to send those fish down. Um, I'll also say that it's probably on these on on the boats too, the you know charter boats, the Every, charter fleet. Everyone, we all really need to do a better job at sending these fish back down with descending devices because 
Um, it just looks better for fishermen. Is the bottom line. If we're sending them back down, um, we're putting, we're helping the the effort of bringing those fish back to an area where they're actually able to equalize. Bottom line, scientifically, it's proving that it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, and the effectiveness of us rebuilding the inventory on our own rock pile is pivotal. Um, when we have more people going out there doing samples, if we show that we're returning fish to that area and the stock is starting to get bigger, and who doesn't want to catch bigger vermilions oh. and bigger starries even, like bigger boccaccio, like everything gets bigger. Mm-hmm. If you start sending down the small ones, over time, the fish get bigger. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. So, Well, especially if it takes them, what did you say, like two to three months just to eat again? Just to eat again. Yeah. It's so, crazy. We should probably all get on the same page soon mm-hmm. because if we start looking better and better to everyone involved, especially um, with legislators, like it makes a difference. We could really come together as a community and, and show out. You and, know? Well, it makes a difference on our, our appearance and image, but also it makes a difference on the actual fishery itself. 100%. It's, it, the data is showing that it's working, so it's something we should all look into soon. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been using that, uh, um, the sequelizer. Yep. That's the one I use. That's a good one. It is a good one. Um, I've had one. Oh, and Snodgrass gave me mine, actually, a long time ago, about six years ago, and it works awesome. Hmm. Um, the Stevenson, I think, is the other one. It's the reverse hook. Yeah. That, has, that one's yeah. great and cheap. I like that one. Yeah. That one the best. I mean, that, you know, you just have to time it or whatever. Just go all the way to the bottom. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, Hard to do it from a charter boat, but can be done. Yep. Yep. Um, and with, um, I mean, the old school ways, they had the milk carton yep. where you just Still send works. everything down. Still works. Still works. Yeah. Still great. We had a, a great, so we had in this workshop, we had um, a person named Dan. I forgot his last name. Kill me. But um, <laughs> uh, Dan essentially has been really leading the path forward to making the people aware of descending devices mm-hmm. for 11 years. In Oregon, they actually made them mandatory. Well, actually, not mandatory. They're giving them credits for a fish they returned down using descending devices. Hmm. It gives them the ability to get the, the DFW up there, gives them the ability to access different water when they have descending devices. Hmm. So they get credits for participating credits in the form of just uh, incentives to go and do another different part of, go to access a different part of the fishery that people that don't have descending devices on their boats don't have oh I see they can't access that water okay so and incentivizes people to have them and to use them because you get benefits with it you yeah. see what I'm saying yeah so we 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 would I'm sure that people in California would really like to get a kickback from DF, RCDFW to be able to go and and uh, try to get some perks out of using a descending device because it's one thing to have it on the boat. It's another thing to actually use it, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I use a 12-ounce weight with the sequelizer. I send them right back down. I sometimes use a 16 if I'm in a big fish spot and I want to upgrade from, like, my 5s to a 7-pound, mm-hmm. you know, vermilion slash sunset rockfish. Right. Um, you know, I'm trying to upgrade and I want to catch bigger fish because I only get keep four right now. Yeah. So... There's a lot of ways that people can start working this a little bit better, I think, and one of them is definitely specifically with focus on ground fish right now. It's a really big topic, 
everyone should be throwing down and putting all those fish that you don't want to keep back on the release, the, the, the sending device, mm-hmm. get them back, do a better job, record it, like show people you're doing it, like get that pumped up, get people excited about doing that because it's only going to make it better for you in the end It's better as we're all going to have a better fishery. Yeah. So bottom yeah. line. Agreed. Um, that was a huge topic, by the way. We went. This has been a thing that I would say forty percent of that was a lot about this groundfish stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. that's why I'm talking. That's I went really off the topic there for that <laughs> one. Um, so, anyways, we back on the MREP uh, workshop. We went to um, Southwest Fisheries Science Center. Met up with many of the scientists. One of them, Owen Snodgrass. He told he talked to us about aging for otoliths. Mm-hmm. So the data they're able to get from an otolith tells them it gives them a rough, so not really rough. It's pretty accurate actually. The the true tree ring concept of aging a fish. Mm-hmm. The otolith gives you the ability to see from starting point A all the way up to whatever it died, mm-hmm. how old that fish was based on the seasonality of the otolith growth. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tree rings, just like that, spring and winter, there will be a, um, a, a new ring set up every single seasonal change because of whatever is going on with water. Right. Like that's talking about trees specifically. And it does the same thing with fish in a slightly different way, but with olive growth. Hmm. So that's how they're able to age fish. Uh, so when we give up uh, white sea bass heads, right? They're actually able now, and they we came out with a study a week before or two weeks before, uh, a week before the MREP meeting, two weeks now, maybe three weeks after this podcast airs, that showed that more, almost 50%, if I'm not mistaken, of the fish recovered with sample data from white sea bass heads was from the hatchery. Those yep. fish were from the hatchery. It's These, pretty the crazy. Hubs, the Hub SeaWorld, you know, um, hatcheries, like... Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was only, I think they had only guesstimated like maybe 7.2%. It was small. At yeah. the time with tags, the only the, 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 um, with the diode in it, mm-hmm. that, that was a very bad recovery number compared to what we're having now. Yeah. So it's, I think it was 46.5% or right. something. Recovery it, now. Which is much, much better than what we, we kind of all thought about that in the back of our heads too. Right. Where it had to be have, having more of an effect than just single digit percentage. Now we have data. A lot of it has to do with otolith, you know, understanding otolith science. So yeah. um, it's very, everyone, if you don't know what an otolith is, it's the sea bass stones. You know, it's every fish has them. It's just they all vary in size. Rockfish actually have giant ones, but hmm. they're old fish. Yeah. Possibly, you know, have to grow them over time and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. You mm-hmm. know, vermilion's got giant ones. Are they... In a general term or general sense, are rockfish growing at a much or almost the same or slower rate than, say, like a calico bass? Probably slower. Really? Yeah, huh. really slow um, because they live down deep, mm-hmm. they're cold, and they don't eat much. Those mm-hmm. things combined make for a very long growth period. Interesting. But they do think that there's a potential for them to – for people to think – uh, or to, to study that right now they're studying this um, people do believe in the scientific community that the groundfish could spawn more than once a year hmm. 
Same one. Interesting. So they don't. They're looking at this stuff, but they believe that there's some species that do more than once, or some certain situations mm-hmm. in the water, whatever might be happening under there underwater that we don't know about. Something may be making them go twice, hmm. breed twice. So, anyways, uh, so we were there doing that. Um, finished up. Um, I saw we saw abalone the abalone uh, aquaculture project that they're doing in there. They're huh. breeding. They're basically breeding white abalone to try to repopulate because there's like they're a majorly yeah. endangered species right now. White abalone. Mm-hmm. They had some reds too, but it was pretty interesting that that huh. whole thing. Um, and then we came back in the next day and we started opening up to the more management side, not the science side of mm-hmm. what the council does, right, as far as making decisions, decision-making processes. So the advisory panel came up in a very long discussion of how that develops and mm-hmm. who represents who and how you can speak and how you can participate. And basically what it comes down to is if you're trying to speak about an agenda, if something comes up, let's just say the copper rockfish comes up and they want to close it next year, mm-hmm. okay, and you feel strongly enough that there's more copper rockfish out there than what they've surveyed or sampled. Well, you can talk about that, but you have to go through the process. You have to approach the advisory panels and the count and and find out who are on those panels that can speak for you and how you can put public comment in on their uh, through them and and through you to be able to have the council look at it, mm-hmm. potentially have you testify and speak to them in person at a council meeting. And which they have, you know, periodically down here. It's like every. I think it's like November. every November. Yeah, November. November is down in here. Fall. Yeah, no, sometimes in fall. Yeah. But there's one in November this year, I believe. Yeah, and, and PFMC, you know, it, it basically consists of California, Oregon, Washington, and I believe Alaska. No. Not Alaska. Not yeah, Alaska. Idaho. Idaho, thank you. I know it was kind of a weird state. Mm-hmm. Um, but that basically, they're managing all the different species and all the different. Um, fisheries within those four states in f- and, and yes that that's right yeah that's so their their focus has been highly migratory species hms the uh coastal pelagic species uh, coastal pelagic yeah species right cps yeah. cps and then groundfish groundfish and, and highly migratory HMS. species yeah. yeah that's bluefin mm-hmm. um they're looking into all the tunas yeah. you know um marlin but uh, not so much with swordfish. They're talking about swordfish. They're looking mm-hmm. into better ways for they, they they've implemented better um, systems. Like uh, they're trying to figure out um, methods of take for swordfish. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, drift gill nets were out on those, and now we're rolling into uh, deep drop, mm-hmm. focusing on buoy fishing. So there's trying to. Uh, Chugi, who hopefully we get to have here one time, he's a scientist. Mm-hmm. He's on the he he goes to these councils, and he's pitching all these new methods um, to take certain species, whether it's um, commercially going uh, commercially taking swordfish with deep drop buoy gear. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sets up these these limitation or these um, uh, ways to take fish within the commercial boundaries. Mm-hmm. So that's one of them right now he's working on is uh, uh, extending the amount of length that uh, the drop, deep drop buoy guys can put out, like mm-hmm. the, as far as miles, mileage. Right. Um, so very interesting how this all happens, right? Anyway, so he was actually there on Wednesday showing us an ex- uh, explanation of like how 
like what he's trying to go through with the council to make a decision on this. Mm-hmm. But uh, it goes through a lot of testing. Yeah. They, they test a lot of this stuff. So they go through years. It has to be, yeah. Years of testing. I mean, it doesn't – some of these guys have been doing this for 10, 11 years trying to get – like the um, Dan – I'm going to get his last name, trust me. <laughs> but anyways, he's been working hard to get the descending devices. It took him 10 to 11 years wow. to get to this point in Oregon. That's crazy. So – takes a long time is yeah. the bottom line but you got to start somewhere you got to speak up mm-hmm. if you're trying to get involved with helping decision making the first place you need to look to is making public comment working with an advisory panel talk if you're you know a stakeholder basically someone that's got a um, something really important to discuss if you're a you know commercial license holder for fish any fishing species if you're in the business of the fishing industry you're making money Going out there like me, I'm a rep, right? Well, all this mm-hmm. stuff affects me. If there's less people fishing, I make less money. Yeah. You know, it affects you too. You're a captain. Yeah. Um, and it affects a lot of people, a lot of people in the fishing industry. If anyone's really a stakeholder, as long as you're, if you're facilitating business within this industry, you have something to say, mm-hmm. you know? Someone's value is going to be greater if they have more experience and time with whatever we're talking about on the agenda. But really, if you need to say something, say it. Yeah. Um, so we learned how to do that. And then on Thursday was kind of like the day that we rounded out everything we've learned. And we actually got to demonstrate um, with a, and do an exercise of going through a council. Mm-hmm. So Wayne was actually... <laughs> I heard about this. Yes. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Wayne Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was... Um, he was a, a part of a non-government organization, NGO, mm-hmm. that uh, environmental agency that was really about saving this particular species called, species called the boss fish. It was just made up. Mm-hmm. And so he was on the other side, you know, what we all get to see at some of these meetings and um, help influence discussions and decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could see just in his example, like, yeah, he's, there's ways to make your voice heard. Yeah, and it's all about that. It's, as long as you can, you know, make your point valuable to the council's decision, it will probably be held in someone's mind, and they'll bring it up, and they'll start writing this stuff down and using your testimony mm-hmm. as firepower for making a better decision on whatever they're discussing at that time within their agenda. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to talk about something that affects you. It's you should never hold back if you can. Open up. Like, if you can't say something, talk to someone on the panel that needs to know about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think that's, it, all this, what I've learned basically is um, how important it is to be participating in the councils. Um, whether, it doesn't matter how old you are either, it's, it's, it's nothing to do with it. It's mm-hmm. just about uh, actually doing something about it, right? Because all these people in the council, they don't just talk. Yeah. They do stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they make healthy decisions, but they participate in their community. They're out there hearing, you know, their stakeholders on their side, whether it's a, it's a commercial fisherman or a scientist or DF, CDFW. Like, there's people participating at the council level that are participating and actually doing something um, that they have to say something about, you know? Mm-hmm. So, we like to, I think the fishermen like to put up a bad guy, good guy block, you know, in their head. Fisherman good. Scientist bad. CDFW bad. That makes sense. And I think that's wrong. You know, yeah. like after this, I was like that at the beginning of this. I was very like, uh oh, like I'm coming here. It's about to be a fight. Enemy territory. Someone's about to put yeah. up a fist, dude. Let's go. <laughs> but it wasn't like that. It was, um, 
here's the data. Mm-hmm. We're showing you how we put it together. Here's the models that we kind of like. Here's an example of one. What would you do? You know? Yeah. And uh, then you're like, well, you're right. Like, we have to hear from this person from the CDFW, and you have to hear from that person from the NGO side, the NGO, environmental, non, non-government organization. Then we have, uh, you know, aquaculture people and then mm-hmm. commercial guys and then recreational and charter boats and mm-hmm. um, businesses, you know, yeah. storefronts and, like, all these other people. They don't really hear from those guys too much, but they, they have a lot of decisions to make on people's behalf, and they have mm-hmm. to make one. Not like five. It's one agenda. They just have to find the right answer for it. Yeah. So. You know, having relationships or good relationships with all these agencies, the the CDFW and PFMC and and everyone, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Having good relationships with the fishermen and PFMC and everyone else, not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Yeah. CCA is really opening up people to how much recreational anglers make a difference, you know? Um, by sheer uh, by sheer pull, by sheer dollar value, in my opinion, we probably have the most, we have the one of the, we have a very important part in this industry because we're bringing up new blood. If they're going to become commercial guys one day, you know, we're fostering a good relationship at the beginning mm-hmm. uh, to be able to go out there, start here bay bass fishing, start shore pounding, right? Eventually, maybe they want to be a commercial bluefin guy. Maybe they want to be a commercial halibut guy, you know, mm-hmm. get a permit for going to catch lobster. But these guys that are growing up, if they have a bad taste in their mouth at the recreational level, what does that say about the commercial level? It usually starts at the recreational level. Absolutely. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, I think the rec, you know, to, to CCA is doing an amazing job because we're bringing in new people mm-hmm. to the industry, to the, to the sport. And when we start doing more of that, we'll start fostering better industry, industry jobs and better commercial, you know, uh, license holders and all these other better practices. Mm-hmm. All these things will start getting better over time, but we all have to be advocates for it. While we're saying it on the radio, on the podcast, it's up to you all to impl- implement a lot of things that we've all talked about and not just standing on the sideline going, yeah, we could do that. We could do that. No, you do it, mm-hmm. talk about it, advocate for it, participate in something, you know, coastal social, yeah. Um, an event like the San Diego banquet, like mm-hmm. the long, the LA chapters banquet that they're having, you know, meet people, talk about it, stay, talk about the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. get, get involved at some level to just to start getting, become more, a member. Be, and yeah, become yeah. a member. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, because the more memberships we have, it's, it's, it's the capability for us to go to one of these, these, um, advisory panels and going, Hey, we have X amount of people that really want to know, let you know we care mm-hmm. about your decision that's happening right now. Would you please speak about this and make sure that these people get their voice heard? Right. That's the importance of it, right? So um, the phrase that we always use is the strength is really in numbers. Strength is numbers, yeah. The more members we have in CCA, the more we can represent, the more resources we'll have, and the more... They'll listen to us. That's right. That's true. Because yeah. um, 
it is uh, very. You, you, we we can't really put a number to it right now, right? Because uh, yeah, and I should clarify. Maybe not necessarily listen to us, but the more uh, um, the more power we'd have, or the more um, more influence we would have. We would we would definitely have the ability to show relevance. Yeah. When something comes up that we need to know, we we need to have our voices heard about. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. It is extremely important that we grow at the rate we've been going and even more because we are starting to really uh, make a difference in conservation efforts. Mm-hmm. And, and we're also starting to help other organizations get a better um, feel for how they can get involved with rec- recreational anglers. That's not something that was regularly done. We just had Jackie Rosa from Blue Latitudes, right? Yeah. That's a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of things that are happening out there that we are doing a good job at. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to help people see that we're impacting their own fishing lifestyle, um, show it by becoming a member, show that what you're, what you're seeing out there is affecting you in a positive way, you know? Um, we advocate that CCA advocates that every day, mm-hmm. every day. You know, there's a new something that pops up. Um, I think that it's always something. There is always something, and Wayne mm-hmm. says that a lot. You know, there's yeah. always something. But that something might become more, more or less a positive something if we have better success rates for things that you know agendas that we want to push back on or we want to be with. Uh, we might have a better chance in the future if everyone starts to be participating. Right. You know, more people. Not everyone needs to, but more mm-hmm. people. Um, and that's what that this whole thing really was focused in on was you have this opportunity as a as an organization to really help get to the next level, mm-hmm. which is making better decisions. And, you know, it's totally understandable about this isn't everyone's cup of tea. This whole government relations, the... Um, advocacy work, the science, you know, I'm not really a science guy. I, I was an English major in college, so I'm definitely That's not right a science there. guy. That's right there. <laughs> English and science. You know? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but, I mean, long story short, that's why groups like CCA and SAC and, and everyone else kind of exist to where if, if, you're, if you just want to write a check every month or every year and donate, that's great. If you just want to become a member for $35 a year, that's great too. But if you're also wanting to get more involved, like yourself, where you know, you're know you a state board member, but then also you dedicated the time, a whole week worth of time, to MREP and going and learning all this stuff, you can do that too, all under the CCA umbrella. It's not, you know, there's, it's not one size fits all in what we do. We need everyone's help in many different ways. I think we we all need to have the industry's help. Yeah. You know, it's we're in this together. Yeah. Uh, I really felt after this workshop how close we're all entangled in the same conversation, which is who's going to be fishing for fifty from fifty years from now, mm-hmm. and where's the fish? Where what fish are going to be here fifty fish fifty years from now? Mm-hmm. It's the conversation, you know. You'll probably still be fishing. 
well, I'll be fishing. I hope it's bluefin. <laughs> yeah. I hope they're a thousand pounds fifty years from now. Oh, know? could you imagine? I can't imagine. I imagine it every day. Yeah. <laughs> Eighty, eighty-year-old man fishing. Eighty-two. Eighty-two. Yeah. Now. We're old people. Just remember that, Chris. That's right. So yeah. much. So old. I know. Yeah, we we definitely um, can do a better job as a community, as an industry, to be on the same page, communicate what we want out of out of our future what we want as a community and I think once that all starts to come together everything starts to get better yeah and it sounds like a really happy toy story but I'm telling you dude, it's it that is the success story of fishing is with, when we all start working together I absolutely agree well Kevin in a nutshell based off of what you've learned from MRAP and in your opinion what is to the common angler the, the you know the everyday angler What's your recommendation on how to get involved? If this, if any part of this conversation sparked your interest, what kind of piece, or what piece of advice would you have for someone uh, to get involved with this stuff? Oh, well, <clears throat> there there really is no easy way to jump into this this uh, part of the decision making process very very easily. I'll say um, there's. The best, li- most likely place that I could point someone to to get a foot footstep in the right direction is definitely meeting with a becoming part of a CCA chapter. I know it sounds we talk about all the time, yeah. But the only, the main reason why I say that is because you can have a conversation like this and have someone in that that um, chapter know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And can give you direction on what you should do to, ne- to get your voice heard or your next step. Unfortunately, a lot of people out there have never stepped into a chapter's door. Mm-hmm. And they don't know who to talk to. They don't know who's who. They don't know how that person's been involved in the fishing industry. And that's the important part is learning about how people and their networks have affected the decision-making process. That is the first step. Um, you have to be able to be understanding that there's very influential people that have made great decisions that you don't even know about, but you were affected by it, you know? Um, and to get really, uh, to get at the very beginning of all this process, uh, to, just, to just have your foot step in the right direction. It's not even in the door yet. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, I think the be- next best thing past this is to have your conversation with an advisory panel member, mm-hmm. whether that's um, someone that's regularly involved with the AP or someone that's in CCA that knows the guy from the advisory panel. Um, if you have something to say and you see it on the agenda, which is public, every single meeting they put it up, what their agenda is going to be, what they're going to talk about in Pacific Fisheries Management, or the pcouncil.org P- P- is the name of yeah. the um, website pcouncil.org if you want to find out more information about the Pacific Fisheries Management Council um, they will have all the documents up there that they're going to go over um, the agendas all that stuff it's great it's a great place to go look at what they're talking about and then it gives you more information on who's in there and how they're involved um, but the documentation's up there including the modeling that they're doing. So if you feel the models aren't correct and that you have something that you want to point out, like mm-hmm. you can research that stuff, you can bring it up to the AP. 
Um, you can also bring it up to the scientists if you get involved enough, right? And you start meeting people and you start recognizing these people that regularly through these meetings. And they recognize you too. That's it. you got to have a two-way street. So you got to start with the foot in the right direction. CCA chapter is the closest people you're going to get to to get you going the right direction. They're going to turn your body and say this, walk this way. You can walk in circles. You can try to do this on your own. But if you if you just don't get the right direction, you're going to be walking in circles for a long time. Well, a long, long time. Yeah. So You may not even ever find it. You may never find what you're looking for as far as an answer or mm-hmm. result. So I would encourage everyone to start with the chapter. I'm with the San Diego chapter. Um, you know, talking about really hit items that really affect you. Groundfish is a great stop. Mm-hmm. If you feel strongly that you're catching a lot of fish out there and that, you know, cutting down your vermilion rockfish limit to four, if that affects you, yes, say something. Say something, talk about it, get the conversation going. If there's other like-minded people with you, mention that. Talk with them. Grow your numbers. Explain that to who's ever running the chapter, and everyone should get on the same board and then say, hey, we need to talk about this to the advisory panel lead. Like, we need to go after this. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I think it goes in a great direction. Yeah. Numbers show a lot of uh, positivity and a lot of, you know. For sure. Absolutely. Well, I know that was kind of a different, uh, like I said, a different flavor of the podcast for sure this week. But this was actually, you know, this was really, really enjoyable. Just I like kind it. of catching up. Catching, catching up. up with you. Yeah. Catch up with you. Catch up with our listeners and all that kind of a uh, I guess a download. It is a, a major download. Yeah. A yeah. giant file. <laughs> For me, it was too. It was five days of this. So. Yeah, I bet. Then, I a, bet. then a tournament after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, two tournaments, but the Coastal Social was was my yeah. was the one I was looking forward to most. Great timing, right? <laughs> well, awesome. Well, like Kevin mentioned, we do have different events coming up. Um, I know tomorrow night we leave on our Inland Empire Chapter Charter, which. We'll be long over before uh, this episode comes out, but coming up, we do have a couple different events. We have our L.A. Chapter Banquet at the Compton Rod and Gun Club um, on May 21st. Tickets are still available for that one. That one's going to be good. Kevin, are you going to make that one? Uh, I'll try. Tuna, I've been yeah, I know. Me. I, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. If I didn't have to be there, I'd be there too. Um, and then, like what we mentioned before, the San Diego Chapter Banquet, June 18th at Portuguese Hall in Point Loma. That one's going to be super, super fun. I know found that. Found out. I'm seeing that. I found that out too. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Yeah. We're yeah. going to be honoring our Anthony Shea Award winner this year, yep. Bob Fletcher. Mr. Bob Fletcher, yeah. along with his wife, Anne. Anne Fletcher, and yes. That's so. going to be fun. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to have a lot of people there, and it's going to be a beer fest. So it's uh, it'll be fun. Really, really fun. Um, and then sandwiched in between that, we also have, I'm not sure if we've announced it yet, but we do have our CCA MDRA Halibut Derby that is going to be in uh, late, taking place in the Santa Monica Bay. And uh, the weigh-in station is going to be at Chase Burton Park. And uh, that's going to be June 4th and 5th. Um, we're going to have weigh-ins both days. And uh, we're taking this one on with the uh, Marina Day Anglers Club. 
Um, that's uh, that's I know they've had their halibut derby for 47. I think this is 48 years now, wow. and they've actually asked us to be a part of it. So we're we're super uh, super fortunate to be a part of that one. That's awesome. Yeah, and we're gonna have uh, we're gonna split in the proceeds between the two organizations, which is nice. That's awesome. So just by participating in all these events, you really are helping us out, doing your part in uh, helping us fight the good fight in uh, preserving the resource in California, along with all the different other projects that we're involved in. Kevin, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Uh, I had a great time. I hope we can do it again. We'll have the next well, the next week. We'll have a great guest, and, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe uh, you know won't be such a download yeah <laughs> yeah a little less light mm-hmm. but uh cool man well it was good talking to you and uh thank you so much for joining us this week uh don't forget please follow us on instagram at cca california don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts um, we are available on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher and spotify um, also if you don't have any of those you can also listen to us at ccacalifornia.org under the publications tab just click on the podcast button and you will be right there every single week kevin it's been awesome man thank you so much pleasure i'm always uh, always ready to go fishing too so let's go out there and catch a bunch of fish this year yep we'll uh, we'll have to have a podcast episode coming to you live from the boat that'd Whoa. be cool can All you right. imagine bluefin tuna fishing doing a podcast too you heard it from chris guys <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll put that one on the schedule for sure. Mm -hmm. But thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We will see you guys next week.